Merry Christmas to everybody in the Chapel family and online. It's always good to get ready, cranking up for the holidays. Uh, Pastor Anthony, we talked about Knox just started snooping around the house. It reminded me uh, we were really poor, and my goal in life, my, my lifelong goal, if they would have asked me in school to write down your goals for life, bucket list, it was to have a pair of Jordans. Like, that was my only goal. Uh, we wore knockoff shoes from Walmart and Target. And so I snooped into my parents' closet one year, and I saw a pair that said MJ's on it. I thought, I'm going to finally have a pair of Jordans. Like, I can live. I won't be made fun of at school and bullied. Like, I got it. Only to come to find out after we opened the gifts, I thought I'm going to open up some Jordans. They weren't MJ Michael Jordans. They were MJ Michael Jacksons. <laughs> so later on in life, I saved up my money during a summer job and got some Jordans. But it is good. Uh, to be in the house of God around Christmas time. Uh, this weekend, it's been a great weekend. We had Adopt-A-Block yesterday. It was our last Adopt-A-Block for the year. And it was an amazing, amazing day. Even with the, the rain, we still did a parade through uh, Cypress Point to the West Florence neighborhood, which is a super cool. A lot of the neighbors, like we were driving through there and, and seeing all these people we've been spending, you know, every quarter we're spending time with them and no people, no faces, no names, no, their friends now. We're driving through and one person said, this is the first time I never thought we'd ever see a Christmas parade in our neighborhood. And so we were going through the neighborhood, throwing out candy, and then we have huge adoptable. We had spore pits and Santa Claus and all this stuff, and then we were able to donate almost 100 kids received Christmas from chapel in that community this week. So give yourselves a round of applause. So that was just an amazing, amazing day. And we had some amazing volunteers that just made that happen. I don't want to leave anybody out, but I know um, Tasha Bird and Rachel Chapman and Holly Moody uh, just did an incredible job. So I just want to say thank you guys a, a ton for all of that. So a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, this is going to be the crazy season of Christmas. I know people are traveling out of town and all this. So just put two things on your radar. One, January 2nd is just one service. We're starting a new series called The Power of One. To help you get your year started, The Power of One, it's all throughout Scripture. The Power of One decision. Paul said this one thing I do, one thing for 2022 may change your life. One word, one person to reach. We're going to walk through that. And then at the end of January, going into February, we're going to have our first ever Awakening Conference. And so what that is, is every other year we do prophetic presbytery. But one of the things I love about prophetic presbytery it's just a spiritual infusion it gives us over those two or three days we're just worshiping God together. And so we're going to recreate that hopefully in this conference. And so our very first one, January 30th, 31st, and February 1st, we have uh, De Havilland Ford, who's Will Ford, who spoke here for Diversity Sunday a couple years ago. His wife, she spoke at the Rocks Ladies Conference this past year, will be here that night. Then that Monday night is Pastor Lee Cummings from Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, who's spoken here before, a good friend of mine. And the third night is a dear friend of ours, he's been here before, is Donnie McClurkin. And so it's going to be a powerful, powerful three days. So put that on your radar. It's going to be a fun time. But if you have Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. You know, we've been walking through this gift exchange series. The first week, Pastor Anthony talked about exchanging uh, your, your fears, your, your hopelessness for hope. Last week, we talked about exchanging your, your worry for peace. Today we're talking about trade your sorrows for joy. The, the team has been making fun of me all week long about the song we started the service with because they're all too young to know good music. And we all hit that stage at some point that everybody, my kids, RJ tells me the rappers right now are the greatest rappers of all time. I'm like, you don't know if they're a good rapper or not. You can't understand a word they're saying. Like at some point we hit that stage, but you know that song just says so much that, that God wants to trade. He wants to give us joy as we lay down sorrows. 
And I don't know anybody else in life that would take that. They take your sorrows, your pain, your worries, your frustrations, your fears, your, your all this junk and give you something better. And we have a God who does that. And it says this in Christmas time, you know, it's supposed to be a joyful time. But what I've realized is, you know, how many of y'all try to do some type of Christmas pictures around the holidays? Raise your hand. Like you want to get your kids, you want to get that picture. Like and what I've learned is around Christmas, we're trying to capture a moment of joy. Like if we can just capture a moment of joy, capture little Johnny opening up his new toy or capture, capture little Susie having that joyful moment. And I, and I think the, the mistake of that is this, that we're not called to have moments of joy and capture them on film. As believers, we're called to have a life of joy. And I think it's sad that we're so hard because when pictures, I don't know about you, but pictures, they don't always capture the right moment, especially Christmas pictures. Like, I'm sure these people thought, it's our baby's first Christmas, we're going to capture this moment forever only to realize, no. Or this picture where I don't know what this little crackhead in the bottom was doing. <laughs> or... I have no words for whoever and whatever this is. <laughs> like, I can tell it's her idea because she has a little bit of a smirk, but he does not want to be there. And then this, this is not me in the corner, but if you notice the Marlboro sweatshirts, that was my childhood. <laughs> like, nothing says Merry Christmas like lung cancer. And to show you, so remember that face. This is a picture of me, my little sister, my little brother, and my two cousins. And my one cousin looks like he's about to become a serial killer for Christmas. <laughs> and then I look like I'm trying out or auditioning for the next Harry Potter film. So, like, like at the top, picture one, picture two. I don't know who this guy is, but that's my twin brother somewhere. So, like, like, it's amazing. Like, Christmas, we try to capture these joyful moments, and outside of those moments is all this chaos and frustration. That's why I love the Scripture. Jeremiah 31, 13 says this, The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. Like, I will turn their mourning into joy. Now, this past month, we've had four deaths in our church in four weeks. Four funerals. You know, got new widows in the church. Got people that have been going through just the grieving process. Even these past year and a half with COVID and with all these things going on, just all this loss. We have a God who says that morning's not going to last forever. Because at some point, I'm going to turn that morning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange. Everybody say exchange. Exchange that the things of God are usually a transactional process. That for some people, I believe there's lazy believers that just think God's going to give it to me, God's going to give it to me, God's going to give it to me. But almost every time in Scripture you see somebody receiving something, there's an exchange that happens. God says, I'm going to give you joy, but if you, wanna, if you want this joy, you have to give me something first. You give me your sorrows, and I'll give you my joy. The principle of sowing and reaping. All these principles are in Scripture where this exchange happens. Salvation is a transaction that happens where you give your sin to Jesus, and he gives you his 
righteousness. There's an exchange. And until you're willing to let go of one thing, you'll never get what God has in store for you. But I'll exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. Now, when you start talking about joy, many times we think of happiness and joy as being the same thing. But happiness and joy are completely different. They, they seem similar. I would say happiness is a, is a worldly form of joy. It's a, it's a pseudonym for joy, but it's not joy. Happiness is a state of mind. I mean, you can get in that state of mind if the, if the circumstances are right. You can get your mind right. But joy is a mindset. It means you set your mind like you set the clock, and it's going to maintain that position, that posture. Happiness comes and goes, while joy can be constant. Like the Apostle Paul who finds himself in prison, his joy was the same in prison in the dungeon as it was when he was on the mountaintop. You see it with Job. Even though Job was going through chaos, he maintained the joy of the Lord because that was his strength. He maintained the joy through the circumstances. Happiness is dependent while joy is independent. That's why you see people jump from one thing to the next, from one relationship to the next because they're looking for happiness because we bought into this lie of fairy tales. They lived happily ever after. Your marriage, your relationships, things, they go up and they go down. That's happiness. Joy is independent of anything else and maintains itself. Happiness is conditional while joy is unconditional. Happy, happiness comes with your conditions. If the conditions are right, you're happy. But joy, it makes no difference where you find yourself or what you find yourself going through. You can have joy on the inside out because this is the truth. Especially in Christmas. Joy is not in things. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not in things. It's not in that Christmas list you got. It's not in that new car you want to buy. It's not in that new house you want. It's not in a new spouse you're trying to get. Joy is not found in things. Joy is not found in people. And the people that try to find joy in people and in things always go through a cycle of anxiety and depression and these cycles ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs because as soon as the new wears off, the happiness wears off. And so when you think joy is in things, you're always going to be this person with these really big highs and these really deep lows because joy is not found in things. Joy is in us. Look at each other and say, it's in me. That, that's why it's kind of, you always have access to joy. If you're a believer, you always have access to joy. You always have joy on the inside of you. If you're a believer, you always have joy on the inside of you. The only question is, are you letting it out or are you suppressing it down? Because sorrow, what is sorrow? Sorrow is a deep inner sadness because of the circumstances around you. It's real. So if you're dealing with sorrow or mourning or grieving, it's real. But it's an inner soul-level sadness because of things happening on the outside of you. The stock market goes up. You start feeling sorrow on the inside because you're never going to be able to retire. You know, your marriage is in conflict. You start feeling sorrow. It's this inner gladness that weighs you down because of the circumstances around you. But joy is a deep inner gladness regardless of the circumstances around you. See, what's amazing is you can have sadness on the inside or you can have gladness, but it's up to you to determine which one you have. And when you determine I'm going to have gladness on the inside of me, you realize that instead of, you just have to learn to act 
access the joy that's on the inside of you and grab a hold of it. And when you grab a hold of it, it changes everything else. It changes absolutely everything else. Because this is the key. Sorrow is the perspective of living life on the outside in. But joy is the perspective that focuses from the inside out. So sorrow is looking from the outside in, meaning I'm looking at what's going on around me. I'm looking at you know, my life situation, my marriage situation, my financial situation. I'm looking at the news. I'm looking at the world. I'm looking at the culture. I'm looking at my bank account. I'm looking at this. And you let all that stuff get on the inside of you. Instead of filtering that junk, you let it get on the inside of you. And now you're living your life with an externally, outwardly focused perspective of life. Even though Jesus said, we sing about the kingdom of heaven, even though the kingdom of heaven is not out there, it's right in here. And so what happens is you let your outside perspective now become the lens in which you see everything happening on the outside, but also everything on the inside. While joy doesn't focus on the outside in, it focuses on the inside out. Meaning it looks at what's going on the inside of me, that the things inside of me are the joy of the Lord, the hope of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, the love of the Lord. All these things are inside of me. The kingdom of heaven is in the inside of me. So I'm living my life from the inside out. So I don't let certain things on the outside in because this is such a sweet place. I'm going to protect it with all cost. See, that's why these two things, see, if you're feeling sorrow, it's because you're looking, paying attention more to what everyone else is doing. That's why the, the thief of joy is comparison, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. which is not scriptural, just so you know. Don't look it up in scripture. I think Teddy Roosevelt or one of the, Eisenhower, one of the presidents, quote, he said, comparison is the thief of joy. And what he's saying is you start looking at everything around you you let those things get on the inside of you and you lose your joy because you're not paying attention to what God is doing in you. You're paying attention to what God is doing in everybody else. But joy is a perspective from the inside out because the joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And where does the Spirit live? So if you're looking for joy on the outside, you're never going to find it. But if you look for joy on the inside, You can always tap into it, but it's based on what you choose to focus on. It's based off what you choose to focus on. I want to read you the scripture. It's not up here, but it says this, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is talking about Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, everybody say joy. joy. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This scripture, the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus endured the shame of your sin, endured the pain of the cross, not because of supernatural strength, but because of joy. Do you catch that? That Jesus endured the most vicious, violent death ever seen. 
not because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, not because of some supernatural gifting, not because of anything that we think, oh, you know, he's a superhero or he's the Messiah. No, the way Jesus endured the hardships of life is the same way that you can endure the hardships of life by setting joy before you. Come on up here, Tyler. Come up here, Brian, real quick. Just, I want your pretty face standing right here on this. Because it's based on what you focus on. Jesus could have focused on the cross. He could have focused on the pain. He could have focused on the shame. He could have focused on all those things. But he chose not to focus on the things out there. He chose to focus on the joy set before him. And so when it comes to cameras, y'all don't know this, but when it comes to cameras, you can choose with a camera what you can focus on. Actually, you'll pick up everything that's in the shot, but only what you focus on is actually what's in view. Look at that. That's a good-looking dude. Just don't turn around so we can't see your bald spot. So zoom out and show the, the crowd. So if Brian is standing there and he zooms out, you can pick up all the stuff in the background. But Brian's blurry. And so what happens is it's the same shot, but you're looking at them. So a lot of you, instead of setting joy before you, God can have joy right in your face. He can have joy right in your home. He can have joy right in your life. He can have joy right in your family. He can have joy right in your spirit. But instead of focusing on the joy God sets before you, you're focusing on everybody and everything else. And when you start focusing on everybody and everything else, you can't see clearly what God is doing in you and for you. And what happens is you start comparing yourself to all this stuff out here, and you miss what's right in front of you. You see it in the Bible. When Ishmael was sent off to die, that, I can't remember her name now, Hagar, Hagar was there. Lord, I got so excited. <laughs> Hagar was there. She's letting Ishmael die. God shows up. He says, what are you crying for? He's like, we don't have any water left. The boy's going to die. And he said, there's water right here. She was so focused on all the death and despair and desperation in her life, she couldn't see the solution was right there in front of her. Some of you, your life is focused just like this. You miss everything God is trying to show you and do for you because you're so zoomed in and focused on everybody else. You're missing the joy of the Lord. Zoom back in on the pretty boy. But when you zoom in, Jesus did this. When you zoom in and you focus on the joy you choose to set before you, everything else goes away. Everything else goes out of focus. So now the focus of my life is not my problems. It's not my pain. It's not my frustrations. Now the focus of my life is the joy I set before me. Some of you need to adjust your focal point. Some of you need to adjust your focal point and choose to set the joy of the Lord before you. Not gifts, not presents, not relationships, not finances. You're setting the wrong stuff. Set the joy of the Lord before you, and you can endure anything and everything if you zoom in correctly. Give them a round of applause real quick. Good job. For the joy that was set before him, he could endure everything. See, I think the joy that was set before Jesus was you and I. 
I think that when Jesus saw the cross, he didn't see the cross. He saw the millions and millions and millions and billions and billions of souls that are going to be redeemed through his pain and suffering. So instead of looking at the suffering, he looked at the results of his suffering. Instead of looking at his shame, he looked at the future results of his shame. And for the joy that was set before him, he just focused in, everything else blurred out, and that's where his joy came from. And it's where yours is going to come from as well. When you learn, when you learn to focus in on the things of God that are on the inside of you and blur out all the things going on on the outside of you, you can go be going through hell on earth and experience heaven on the inside. So real quick, just three things on joy. One is this. If you're going to live a life of joy, not just moments of joy, but a life of joy, you need to know this. You have to make the decision to choose joy every day. Like you have to make the decision to change that focal point from that of focusing on all the stuff going on out here, all the chaos, all the frustration, all the news cycles, all this stuff. I've got to change that. I've got to make the decision to tune in and focus on joy. And let joy be the filter for everything else. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's even scriptural. Well, this is what God told the, the Hebrews. He said this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. You could say joy or sorrow. I have set before you life and death, joy and sorrow. Therefore, choose life. Therefore, choose joy that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. God tells you every day you wake up, you have a choice to make. You can choose life, joy, blessings, or you can choose to be sorrow, death, frustration. You know, one, I'd say those who choose life are tickers. Those who choose sorrow and death are Eeyores. We have enough Eeyores in life. We need more tickers. Joy is contagious. And I think one of the things missing from the church that the world needs to see is the joy of the Lord. That regardless of the news cycle, it's amazing to me like when, when bad things happen and we see them on the news, the church reacts just like the world does. Like I, I got into a phase where I don't care who the president is, what war is rumored, what natural disaster is happening, which new variant we're on now, the next one, I don't know what it's going to be called, it'll be Jupiter and Zeus and all these other weird stuff. Like I don't even care anymore because all it tells me is regardless of what happens, that God is coming sooner rather than later. And my joy level just cranks up. It, it cranks up my mission to make sure everybody that I know can go with me, but Jesus is coming back at some point. And what happens is when you're joyful, it marks you differently than the world because the world is not a joyful place. The world has to numb itself of its sorrows through the worldliness, through secularism, through drugs, through alcohol, through entertainment. They have to create atmospheres of joy that are temporary while we have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And so the Christian that is just, ooh, 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 ooh. We need Christians who realize that joy may be, joy and love 
are probably two of the greatest evangelism tools God has given us. And when you choose joy, you choose to reflect heaven on earth. Because I promise you, there is no sorrow in heaven. There is no Eeyores in heaven. No one's walking around in heaven saying, oh, we've got to worship again. They picked that song, and I hate that song. <laughs> Jesus, he didn't even lead a hymn today, Jesus. Like, no one's walking, oh. It's full of joy. Why? It's not conditional based on anything else except the presence of the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Like Baylor, I'm a big basketball guy. Baylor won the national championship last year in basketball. And their coach, I think he came in 2004-ish, he chose to create a culture. Now, Baylor's a Baptist college. They chose to create a culture that reflected the kingdom of heaven. And they chose a key word, one word for their year, and that lasted many years, one word, and it was joy. They said joy. And they gave it an acronym, and the acronym means this, Jesus, others, then yourself. Jesus, others, then yourself. And they created this culture of joy. And what's amazing is they win the national championship, and all the players are talking about is not strategy, not their players. They're talking about the culture of joy. Now, of all the teams in the NCAA tournament, this team had one of the hardest runs to get there. They had a three-week shutdown due to a COVID outbreak where they couldn't practice, couldn't communicate, and couldn't do anything. Three weeks. Out of that three weeks, the conference tournament started. They lost the semifinals of that tournament. Then they go into the NCAA tournament, and they played like six games in like nine days. And then when they win, they said it was because of joy. Do you realize? A A basketball team full of stupid, dumb college kids. You asked them on the interview, why did y'all win? Because we set joy before us. They chose joy instead of worrying and shame and frustration. When there were three weeks shut down, it was still joy. Jesus, others, and then myself. Jesus, others, then yourself. Somebody need to hear that. It's Jesus, others, then yourself. You don't get joy by building yourself up. You get joy by serving others. You can choose joy Every single day. But number two, it's not just choosing joy. You have to learn to enjoy some things in life. See, I I think some of you come from Christian backgrounds where the whole purpose of life is to get saved and then suffer for all of life so you can enjoy eternity at some point. I know because you're still trying it. (laughs) Like like smile, like my pastor, Pastor Davis, every time I go to preach, he'd be like, Bobby, are, are you happy? I'm like, yes, sir. He said, tell your face. Smile. I'm telling you, smile. Like, learn to slow down and enjoy life. Life is a parenthesis in eternity. Do you realize you're an eternal being? That before you were born, you always existed in God's realm. Then when you were birth, he gave you a body to your spirit. And when that body, this tent, this, this vessel goes away, your spirit returns back to your heavenly father. And in that, this parentheses of life, God has given us as an expression of heaven on earth, as an expression of joy, an expression of life, he expects you to enjoy it. When you read the Psalms, there's joy in many of them. When you read the Song of Solomon, there's joy there. Ecclesiastes, there's seasons of joy. When you read the Bible, there's joy. Like you can learn to enjoy life now. There's nothing wrong with it. Enjoy it. 
God gives you moments, God gives you pleasure, God gives you fun, God gives you things that you can enjoy. Uh, one of the first things I think that happens with us, like our kids are at the age where they're teenagers, we ask them for their Christmas gift list. And it's like an adult's wish list. I remember the days we went to the Toys R Us before it closed down, and I got to relive my childhood by buying the toys I wanted for my kids and made them like them. And now they're growing up, and so what happens is when we start to grow up, we start to lift up responsibilities over joy. We find our identity in what we do and our responsibilities and our duties and our chores and our work and all this stuff instead of our joy. But Jesus said, come to him like a child. And I think for us, if we can learn to have that childlike joy, we will enjoy our Christian walk that much better. We'll enjoy Christian community that much better. There's an old rabbi, he said he saw this guy, kept coming to church or to the synagogue and when he came to the synagogue, he'd directly run out. He'd come in right when it started, leave us right when it was over. Finally, he stopped. He said, what are you, why are you in such a hurry? And the guy says, well, I'm just, I'm running after success. I'm running after fulfillment. I'm running after joy. I'm running, he starts to name up all these things he's running after. And the old rabbi said, that's great if you think those things are out in front of you, running away from you. But what if they're right here where you're at? Some of you, instead of enjoying the blessings God has given you, you're so focused on chasing what's next, you're missing what's now. Like this Christmas, some of you will be so caught up in getting through the holidays, you're going to miss the moments that God has given you to build memories with your kids. Maybe even moments and opportunities to share the gospel through the Christmas message with your family and your friends and the people you care about. See, sometimes we get so caught up in running after joy, we lose sight that joy is already on the inside of us. See, I learned years ago, I was, in, I was not burnt out, but I was caught up in the rat race of life and ministry and just working a lot. And I'd always heard that Sabbath was this ritual rule that you're supposed to maintain. Right, and I've been to Israel with Pastor Brian. On Sabbath in Israel, the elevators don't even work on Sabbath. I was told Sabbath is the day you get your butt to church. Like that was my mentality. And I read this book by Mark Buchanan. And he says this in the book. He said, Sabbath, Sabbath is not made for God. When you go to Luke, Jesus said, they asked Jesus, why are you healing on Sabbath? He said, listen, he said, Sabbath wasn't made for God. God made Sabbath for man. And it totally changed when I reread that. I realized, like, God is that Sabbath is not some box he's trying to fit us in. He's saying, listen, I've worked, I've worked, I've worked, I created all the heavens. I want to give you this gift of rest to enjoy me with. The Westminster Catechism, some of you that have a Presbyterian Reformed background, one of the first questions in the Catechism is, what is the purpose of man? And the answer in the Catechism is to, in, to know God, to honor God, and to enjoy him forever. And I think there's something to that catechism, this enjoying God that we're missing. And I think that comes through Sabbath. So what Mark said. Mark said, Sabbath is seizing from what is necessary to embrace that which gives life. So if you, if you read the Old Testament, when there were Sabbaths, they had to stop doing what they had to do to survive in order to enjoy the blessings of God. Literally, God said, I'm going to give you double portions on, on Friday so that way you can enjoy more on Saturday. See, Sabbath means you stop doing what you have to do to do what you get to do. 
And it's a huge blessing. Once I learned this principle, and I'm not, I'm not perfect with it, but the more I, I try to apply it, the better it works in my life. And so this is what it is. Business makes us stop caring about the things we care about. But Sabbath makes time for the things we truly care about. See, busyness will rob you of the things you want to actually live for. It'll rob you of your family. It'll rob you of your relationship with God. It'll rob you of the blessings you're working for. It's amazing to me, some of these people who work their tails off to provide for their family, and they never actually enjoy the things they work for. Busyness robs you of those things, but Sabbath pushes the pause button and says, no, no, I'm going to enjoy these things. It does this. Sabbath makes time to enjoy God's presence, his word, and his blessings. In a busyness of a week, yes, you should have a daily time with God, but there should be a special moment. You said, this is me and God's time. For most of us, it's Sunday morning. I'm going to push the pause, but I'm going to honor God, but I'm also going to enjoy his presence. I'm going to enjoy his word. I'm going to enjoy his blessings. I'm going to share those things. Remember way back in the day, my family didn't go to church, but we still had Sunday family dinner at my grandparents' house. Now it was a Marlboro smoke-filled room. But it was like a, a family Sabbath. We pushed the pause button from all the work to enjoy sometimes each other's company. Sabbath makes time to enjoy God's creation. Literally, in the creation in Genesis, God creates, creates, creates for six days. Then he says, stop. This is Sabbath. We're going to rest to do what? To enjoy his work. One of the things I've really gotten into, some of y'all know, I was never a hunter growing up. Like, my family was not a hunting family. We were not redneck families. RJ, we got some good friends that are big hunters. RJ always wanted to hunt. I despite our first time, it was like 40 degrees and drizzling rain. I was there for five minutes and said, RJ, are you ready to go yet? He said, no, Dad, this is awesome. I'm like, mm-mm. There's a TV at home with a football game on. I can go to the mall and buy some new shoes if you just hurry up. Like, I hated it. But the busier my life has gotten, there's been two things that have, ha- that have happened that I've begun to enjoy hunting. I-, I actually start hunting on my own. One is this. I think there's special, something special about redneck families because they hunt together. They go in the woods with no TV, really no phones, nothing to distract them except each other's presence and God's creation. I think there's something special that bonds people together when there's nothing to distract them from God's presence and from each other's presence. In this day and age of distraction, it's needed. I've learned to enjoy that with RJ. But the second thing I've learned is there's something special about getting alone with nothing except you, God, and his creation. Like I will get out in the woods at 4.45 a.m. It's completely dark. I'm still a little scared of the dark, so it's a little nerve-wracking getting out there. And I get out there, and you sit in the tree stand or the shooting house, and you watch the sun crest over the horizon. Beautiful orange, pink, reds. And as you start to see it come up, I mean, you watch it come up, and the woods come alive. The birds begin to chirp. The squirrels begin to move around and rustle around. The chipmunks begin to move. Everything moves but the deer. <laughs> and the woods come alive, and, it's, and you almost see this cycle of creation that recycles every single day. And it reminds me that just like the animals recycle, my life recycles every day. That's new mercies today. It's new joys today. It's new hope today. It's new life today. 
and I get to see God's hand on everything. There's something special about pushing the pause but enjoying. But three, Sabbath makes time to enjoy God's family. That God, I know everyone in this room has family, and there's nothing wrong with family, but Jesus said this. His family was not his mom and his sisters and his brother. His family were those who did the will of God. And some of you need to know that the only family that will go from here to eternity is the family that's built around the presence of God. And when you learn to spend time with each other as a family of God, it brings a blessing you'll never get anywhere else. And lastly, Sabbath makes time to enjoy the interest God has given you. God has given you interest. For some of you are musicians, it's music. For some of you, it's arts. For some of you, it's, it's whatever you're Like, God wants you to enjoy life. Like, enjoy it. Not with passive leisure, but with something active. Like, there's, this, there's science that they figured out that passive leisure, TV watching, social media scrolling, laying Netflix and chill, whatever the term is now, like, it actually does your body harm. But active leisure where you get out hiking and hunting or running if you like self-torture and all those things like that. Like active leisure does your body good. There's this nerve. Like there's all these nerves in your brain. There's 12 of them. But they all connect to this, I think it's a vagus nerve that runs all the way down through your diaphragm into your body. And when that vagus nerve it has one thing, it tells your body if things are okay or if it's not okay. And when that nerve relaxes in things, like sitting there watching the TV for hours upon hours upon hours, it begins to tell your body that things aren't okay, and that's where stress and anxiety comes into play. But when that nerve is activated and it's moving, it begins to tell your body everything's okay. Everything's great. And that is a sign of Sabbath to remind your mind, your soul, your spirit, and your body that God has got it. And sometimes you do do that do that through active leisure. But last but not least, so you've got to make the decision you gotta, to, to be joyful. You have to enjoy life. But three, put joy on repeat because you always have a reason to be joyful. Like I use Spotify and Spotify, there's some songs that hit that repeat button all the time on Spotify. But remember back in the day, you didn't do that. We were at the Rock Christian Bookstore in uh, Sheffield a couple weeks ago, I guess now, doing staff there for planning next year. They had Christian radio playing. We heard Lauren Daigle 4,000 times in four hours. 4,000. I'm like, is that Lauren Daigle? Is that Lauren? Like, I think they have one city at the radio station. It's Lauren Daigle. We're cutting costs. We can't buy Mercy Me anymore. It's just Lauren Daigle. And what happens is they've actually said pop songs are designed that you don't normally like them the first time. And so what these music companies will actually pay the radio stations to play their junky songs over and over and over again because at some point your mind starts to get attracted by repetition. So there are songs that you may like. I don't listen to the radio much at all. I listen to talk radio, sports radio, Spotify worship playlist, or podcast. But a couple years ago, Justin Timberlake and Chris Stapleton came out with a song called Say Something. That is the dumbest stinking song ever. Say something, say something. I'm like, yeah, please, say something besides say something. But it was on so much, no matter if it was on TV, it was on radio, if it was on YouTube, all the time. I actually like the song now. And it's stupid. You know why I like it? It repeated so much, I got acquainted with it. Malcolm Gladwell, who's an author in the book Outliers, he says, to become an expert at something, you need to repeat it 10,000 hours. So if you see somebody who's great at piano, 
and they're expert piano. They've done that for 10,000 hours. You see somebody, a great artist, they've probably painted or designed something for 10,000. You see a great basketball player, they didn't show up and become a great basketball player. They practiced for 10,000 hours. And the reason people don't become experts is because they don't want to put the time in. Like with basketball, I've been telling RJ, I was like, hey, if you want to be great, it takes hours. I know it gets boring working on your form, working on your form, working on your form, working on your form. I know it gets tired hitting the same bass notes in piano practice. We're talking to my uh, community group, James Howard bought a guitar. He's talking to Jason about it. He wanted to learn to play guitar. He's already quit. It's because he's a quitter. No, it gets, it's the repetition. Same note, same note, same note, same note. But you become an expert by repetition, no matter what it is in life. And some of you need to put joy on repeat by practicing the repetition of God's blessings in your life. Every day when I pray, I start off by saying all the things I'm grateful for from God. I put it on repeat. God, I'm so grateful for the grace you've given me in my life. I don't deserve to be here, God, by the grace of God. Thank you for my wife, Toya, for the blessings she is to me. Thank you for my kids. I go through them by name. I thank you for this church and our staff and our elders. Our like, I put joy on repeat. See, because grace is the only gift you get to reopen every time you thank God for it. Like, do you get that? Like, every time I thank God for his amazing grace, it's like reopening it again and going through the experience of this amazing salvation experience again. And that brings me joy. You have to put it on repeat. Find the joy of the Lord and put it on repeat in your prayer life. And when you do, it'll change everything else about you. As you get ready to play, I'll leave you this. Way back when Napoleon was fighting, there was a town in Austria. Little bitty town, Napoleon had 18,000 troops surrounding this town. And the townspeople had no defense systems. There's no way for them to fight back. They had no army. And they were really just going to surrender and just give up to Napoleon. But it was Easter Sunday. One of the old deacons at the little church there in Austria came and said, you know what? They're going to take us over anyway. Let's at least just have Easter one last time. So they gathered all the people at the church. They rang the old church bell over and over again. They had their Easter celebration. They rang it again. And then Napoleon's army thought that the ringing of the bells was them celebrating because the defense of Austria came to defend them. And Napoleon's army scattered back towards France. And nothing had changed except for joy. I want to tell you this. That when you put joy first, it scatters the enemy. But if you're waiting for God to scatter the enemy before you have joy, you're never going to have joy. Let joy conquer. Let joy reign. Let joy be on repeat in your life and watch the end. The enemy cannot be in an atmosphere of joy. He hates it. Put it on repeat. Put it on repeat. Would you stand to your feet real quick? I'm going to ask one question. If you want to bow your heads and close your eyes for a second, I'm going to ask one question. We're going to go back to this song as we kind of get ready to close out to remind you to trade your sorrows for joy. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to share this with you. Yesterday we had an amazing... Memorial service, celebration of life service for Barbara Jackson here. And at the end, I gave the opportunity for anybody who had not given their life to Jesus. I'm talking about gave their life, not said a prayer, not raised their hand, but gave their life to Jesus to do that. 
I'm going to give you that same opportunity today. Maybe it's Christmas time. You know, it's a, it's a time of gifts, time of celebration, time for family. But it's also a time that reminds us that God fulfills the promises he gives us. He'd been speaking for a couple thousand years. Hey, I'm going to send them aside. I'm going to send them aside. I'm going to send them aside. Then he goes dark for 400 years. People think that God has forgotten about him. And all of a sudden, God shows up in the form of Jesus. He's given us a promise. He's going to show up again. And he expects the church, he expects people to be waiting for his return. And so the question is this. You can't be waiting for his return if you're not one of his people. And you become his people by confessing he's Lord, repenting of your life, and giving your life to him, and he gives you a new life. He exchanges that out. So that's you. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. You say, you know what? I want to receive the gift of Jesus this year. I want to receive the gift of the gospel and salvation this year. All you have to do is give him your life. You exchange your sorrows for his joy. That's you. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. That's you. Just real quick. That's you. I just want you to slip your hand up right where you are. So today's the day. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? You put your hands down if you put them up. We're going to pray. As soon as service is over, we want to help you walk out this life with Jesus. If you need to stop by a connection point, let them know, hey, I raised my hand. They'll get you a bunch of stuff to help you out so we can love on you and encourage you. But Father, we thank you so much that you are a cheerful, giving God. You withhold nothing back from your people. Father, we thank you that you give the promises of God that are yes and amen to Jesus to us, Father. And you just want us to have open hands. So, Father, right now, for all these people that raise their hands, Father, we pray they lay down their desires, they lay down their lives, they lay down their uh, dreams, their ambitions, Father. And as they lay them down, you give them a new life in you. You give them the character and the life of Jesus. You give them a fresh, clean slate. You give them a new conscience and a new direction and a new purpose in life. Father, wash them in the blood of your son, Jesus, and set their feet on the solid ground and the solid rock. In Jesus' name, amen.